So what does faith look like? We read the whole section last week. It's, uh, I'm going to start in, uh, let me start, I started in 10 last week and read on down. Uh, today I want to start in 14. Paul is in the midst of thanking them. What happened, if you weren't here, the, uh, Paul has, uh, is thanking the Philippians for sending them a gift. He's in prison, and in those prisons, if you, they didn't provide for you. If you were going to eat, if you are going to wear clothes, if you are going to have anything, somebody had to send it to you. And the Philippians sent that to him, and so he is thanking them for them for that but he made sure that they knew he made sure that they knew that he's not like uh you know that's that's the one thing about talking about giving and about about investing in the gospel is uh i am terrified of sounding like a tv preacher you know send me your money and i'll send you uh, you know i'll send you a or whatever, and you'll be blessed, and you'll, all your problems will go away, and all that kind of thing. Of course, that's not what he's saying. He made sure they knew that he didn't absolutely have to have their gift. He was content in Christ, whether he was suffering, whether he was hungry, whether he was full. He told us that last week. He said, I'm content in Christ, and I have all things that I need in Christ. But he is thankful to them because God, they are the ones that God used to, uh, to send that gift to him. So let me just read in verse 14. He says, notwithstanding, this is right after he says, you know, whether I'm hungry, whether I can, I'm full, I can do all things in Christ. So it's all good no matter what happens. But he says in 14, notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, Philippi is in Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only, ye only. For even in Thessalonica, which is also in Macedonia, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire, but I desire... The man, I can't see, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's not buttering them up saying, hey, y'all, come on, y'all did good, send me some more money. But he is thanking them that they did sin to his necessity, to his need. So we're going to talk about giving. I know when I said that, immediately the first thing comes to your mind is, well, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip today. We're going to go and, you know, he's going to tell us how we should be giving more and all those kind of things. But understand, if you have been following us through Philippians, Paul's everything that he has told us is not about, hey, do better, do more. If you could do better, if you could do enough to please God, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need the cross. You wouldn't need salvation. You wouldn't need any of those things if you could work it out your own self. If you could do it your own self, you wouldn't need the gospel. So if you if you remember, as we've been walking through this letter and the whole entirety of the Bible, everything that uh, everything that God has written to us is be who you are, be who Jesus has made you. If you've been following, you know that because we talked about standing in the, in the Lord. We talked about stand in the Lord. That's what Paul said. He didn't just say stand in your own strength. He said stand in the Lord. He didn't say be humble, have the mind of Christ just because that's what you're supposed to do and God will be, uh, God will put favor on you if you do that. He said have the mind of Christ which was in him that he humbled himself and, and came in the form of a servant and, and, and those kind of things. And 
He also told us, I'm trying to think of the ones, he said rejoice in the Lord, didn't he? He said rejoice in the Lord, even when everything's not going good, you can rejoice in the Lord. Everything that he's told us so far is be who you are. If Jesus has saved you, he's given you a new heart, he has made you perfect before the Father, now you walk it out, walk out who you're supposed to be. Yes, it's a fight, yes, it's a war, yes, the Spirit's going to battle with the flesh over and over again, but be who he has made made you to be. The message is never do better so God will love you more. The message is never do better so God will accept you. The message is always God has given you salvation, made you perfect before him. So now walk in what he has given you. That's the consistent message that we've seen over and over again. That's the consistent message through scripture. It's all based on the gospel. Be who you are. And so what he says here is he's all through this letter. He's saying, be who you are. And he is telling them, look, he's on, he's on mission and he's praising them, thanking them, not for what they gave. Did you notice that we're not told through anywhere in this book about what they gave him? We don't know if it was money. We don't know if it was a care package. We really don't know. It's probably, probably money just so he can get, you know, food and those kind of things. Nobody's supplying him with food except for believers, you know, given to him. So we don't know what it was exactly, but here he describes how they gave. And that is what we need to see. And what I want you to see today is not, hey, let me pull out my wallet. Okay, you know, the guilt trip is on. Let me give you, let me give you some more money and that, that'll make you happy. The, 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 the message is examine your heart and examine where your treasure in this life is. Because Jesus says wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Whatever you love, you're going to sacrifice for. Whatever your God is, little g God, if it's yourself or your money or your security or your fun or your happiness or your family, that is what you're going to live for. Whatever your little g God is, you're going to live for that. And so if God, the God, Jesus Christ is your God, and he is the only God, but I'm saying if he's Lord in your heart, that's who you're going to live for. That's what you're going to live for. And that's what he's describing here. In verse 14, he says, you have done well. You have well done. He's not just saying, hey, good job, guys. You know, that's a great job. You did a good job on that. He's saying it's a good thing that you have done. Now, remember, he just before this, he says, look, not that I need the gift. Because whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, whatever's going on, I can do all things in Christ. He says, but notwithstanding that, he says, you need to understand you have done good. You have done a good thing. That means you have done a godly thing. He's not just saying, you know, well, that's a good job. Thank y'all. Appreciate that. He's saying this is a good thing that you have done, that you did communicate with my affliction. With my with my need, you've acu- you've you've uh, you've given to what I to uh, what's going on with me. You have provided for me. You have invested yourself in the gospel. You've av- invested yourself in the gospel. It's a good thing, and you need to understand. Paul is not just sitting down on his hands in prison. He is on mission. Notwithstanding, you have done well that you've communicated with my affliction. They've come alongside him and he is ministering. Real quick, look down in verse 22. We'll get there eventually. But he says at the end of this letter, he says, all the saints salute you. Chief, chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. What's he doing as he is in prison? 
He's ministering to Caesar's household. He's converting him. He's preaching the gospel. Even, even in prison, even there where he can't go anywhere, he can't eat unless somebody brings him food. He can't do anything at all. Chained to a Roman guard. What's he doing? He's on mission for Christ. Doesn't matter where he is. He's always preaching the gospel. He's always being a witness. He's always doing the work of the Lord. He's always advancing God's kingdom. It doesn't make any difference if he's in the backwoods of some some remote place trying to build a church, start a church, minister to people, or whether he's in the middle of the big city of Corinth or somewhere, he is ministering the gospel. It doesn't matter if he's talking to an audience that really could care less what he has to say and basically hates his guts like he did in Mars Hill when they all laughed at him and when they all said, forget this guy. Or if he's talking to an audience where they're so intent that he can preach all night long, so long that a dude falls out the window and dies and he has to go revive him. It doesn't matter where he is or what he's doing. He's always preaching the gospel, even from prison. Even from prison in Rome where he is shackled, he don't know if he's ever going to get out. Don't know as far as he's concerned, his ministry might as well be over. But it's not because he's he's using the time that he has in prison to preach the gospel. And he's saying, you guys have done well because you've come alongside me. You've helped me. You have given. They can't come to Rome. It's a long way from Philippi to Rome. They can't come and do what he's doing. They can't be Paul. There's only one Paul. God uh, came on the Damascus road and, and knocked Paul down and told him, I've chosen you to go and bring my message to the Gentiles. You're going to preach in front of kings and, and, and all these things. They can't be the guy. You don't know anybody from, from Philippi. I guess you know Epaphroditus because his name's mentioned, but you don't know any of their names. We don't know any of their names. We don't know what they did for a living. We don't know anything about them because it's not recorded in Scripture. They can't be the Apostle Paul, but they can be part of the gospel by aiding, by aiding and helping, by praying for them, sending, sending their gifts, sending uh, their investment into the kingdom of God. And that's what he's praising them for. That's what he is thanking them for. But it's not about what they gave. You're, you're probably thinking, okay, I got it. I got it. Let me pull out my wallet. Let me, just tell me how much this is going to cost me. Just tell me how much I need to give and, and, and I'll do that. And then we're all good. And I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll leave today saying, well, I did what I was supposed to do and it's all good. It's not about that at all. I'm not going to tell you that. It's not about that at all. It's about how they gave the heart, the new heart that they have, what that heart does investing in the gospel. It's not just about money either. It's about investing your life in who Jesus is and what he's done. It's about investing in the gospel. Look at how that they gave in verse 15 and 16. It says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Let me tell you just a few things real quick about about how they gave. They gave from the beginning, didn't they? It says in 15. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, this wasn't this wasn't new for them. This wasn't. Hey, guys, guess what? Paul's in prison. We need to help him. They had been doing this from the very beginning. They had been when their heart was changed. You know what happens when Jesus gives you a new heart? All of a sudden you have new desires. You have new wants. You have a new a new walk, a new way of thinking, a new way of looking at things. And no longer do you live for stuff. 
No longer do you live for the things of this world. Is there times when you fall back? Is there times when you walk in the flesh? Is there times when when the flesh rises up and you make the wrong decision? Of course there is. We've seen it over and over again. But the overall pattern of your life is you are striving for the goal. You are pressing toward the mark. You are living for Christ and you're investing everything that you have in Christ. Not saying go and empty out your bank account and sell your house and do all those kind of things. I'm saying that you are using what you have for Christ. What do you have? I'm not talking about your money. What do you have? Can you do you have a talent that you can use? Do you have a a gift that you can use? Do you have something that you're good at? Do you have some, uh, I mean, do you have a strong back? Are you able to help someone? Whatever it is that you have, you can use it for the glory of God. You can use it for his kingdom. A lot of people start thinking things like, well, I, I can't preach. I can't teach anything. I'm not a very good speaker. Therefore, there's nothing that I can do. Lie. You can be a part of God's kingdom. You're commanded to be a part of God's kingdom. Whether it's just praying, whether it's somebody, you know, that we hear that there's a, a books written about little old ladies that all they can do, can't get out of the house, can't walk from the bathroom to the kitchen without help, but they can get down and they can pray. They can pray with fervency. They can pray with strength. And I tell you, God answers those prayers. He hears those prayers and answers those prayers. And he moves when his people pray uh, with fervency. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He moves when those prayers. So you can be a part of the kingdom. You can invest your life in the kingdom. You can aid God's work in what's going on in this world. You are commanded to aid God's work. You're not commanded just to, you know, well, I'm going to go and be a preacher. You're not commanded to go and, and start a ministry to help, you know, people in wherever. You are commanded in whatever state that you're in, whatever occupation that you're in, whatever place that you're in, to aid the kingdom of God, to invest yourself. And that's what they were doing. They gave from the beginning. This wasn't a new thing for them. It says, when the, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia and they gave, even though nobody else was given, it says, no church communicated with me as concerning giving. You were the only ones in, in Macedonia. There were three churches that Paul visited. You can find this in the book of Acts. He visited first. He went to Philippi. That's where he, uh, that's where Lydia was saved and the Philippian jailer and, and all that went on. Then he went to Thessalonica and, and that's listed in Acts. And then he went to Berea and then he left Macedonia. He says, when I left Macedonia, you were the only ones that helped me. It's easy for us to look around and say, well, you know what? Nobody else is doing anything. I don't know why I have to put myself out. I don't know why I have to be the one that does all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. When everybody else gets to go home, when everybody else gets to go lay back and do nothing, I don't really understand why it is that I'm the one that all this pressure is on to get this done or to do this or to give this or to, to, to whatever, to aid the kingdom of God. Well, some of these other folks need to come around here and pick up some slack. I can't do it all myself. Understand, they were the only ones and he was commending them for that. He says, when I left Macedonia, when I departed from there to go on to other missionary journeys, you were the only church. 
that helped. Nobody else did. So they gave, they gave from the beginning. They gave when no one else was. They invested their lives into the ministry of the gospel through Paul when no one else was doing it. And they did it consistently. And I believe they did it eagerly. And look, look at the next verse. He says, only, only you, you gave only. He says, for even in Thessalonica, that's right next to Philippi. So Paul left Philippi, went to Thessalonica, then he went to Berea, and then he left Macedonia. You can read that in Acts. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto mine. Says, so he's saying, look, before I even got out of your backyard, before I even left the neighborhood, you were already sending help. You were already investing in the ministry. You were always, already investing in what God was doing. He says, not only once did you send it, he says, but twice, once and again, you sent it. So when I left, when I left uh, Macedonia, when I left the region, you were the only church that was helping me and you were doing it eagerly because I couldn't even get halfway out the door before you sent it and then sent it again. Before I even left the region, you had already sent twice to my knee. He's, he's thanking them for that gift. He's praising them for their investing in the gospel. He's telling them you gave from the beginning. It's a new heart thing. It's not about, oh, how much do I need to give? It's a new, it's about their heart. They were eager to send. They were eager to help the ministry. They were eager to help the gospel advance because they did it before he could even get out of their own backyard. When he went to Thessalonica, they sent to him. And then on his way out of Thessalonica, they sent to him again. Then he went to Berea. And as you see, they, they continually ministering. They're continually investing themselves in what Christ is doing. And even now, when it looks like it's all over, Paul may be facing execution as he's in prison in Rome. Here they are again, sending. Here they are sending a man, Epaphroditus, to aid him. Sending a gift to bring him food. And it's for the gospel. Paul's not just sitting there going, oh, I'm sure I'm hungry. He's ministering to the people that are in Caesar's household. They are investing their lives. They're investing their lives in the gospel. They're living for the gospel. And really, that is what we're called to do. Let me show you just a few more things and we'll go. We may get out even early today. I always say that. We never do. Oh, yeah, we may get out early. It says in verse 17, it says, um, not because I desire a gift. It's like, I, I'm not praising y'all because I want more of your money. So get that out of your mind. Get that out of your mind. This is not, Paul is not a TV preacher. Paul is not one of those guys. You ever meet the guys that say, come support the gospel. We're going to take the gospel to Chicago. Send your money and support it. And then when they get to Chicago, they say, come support the gospel and send, send money so we can go to Minneapolis. And then, then you send money so they can go to Minneapolis. And they, once they get to Minneapolis, uh, come support the gospel. And they never really get to preaching the gospel. They're always getting supported to go to the next city in order, in order to preach the gospel. Paul's not like that. Paul's not saying that. He says, it's not that I desire your gift. He says, there are some blessings that go along with investing your life in the ministry. There are, there are some blessings of God, some promises of God that go along with giving to the advancement of the gospel, with supporting the ministry of the gospel, with being part of the kingdom of God going forward. There's some blessings. The first thing is that when you, when you invest your life, when you invest the things that are valuable to you, 
And let's be honest. I mean, money has probably the greatest potential to be an idol in our lives because everybody needs it. We all need it. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have a lot. You can see people in the Bible that have a whole lot. It's not a bad thing to have a little. It's not money's not a bad thing. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. And it's so easy to become an idol because we we have to have it. You got to have it to pay the bills. You got to have it to live on. Got to have it to eat on. It's something that you have to have. And so we start to find security in it, don't we? If I get enough, then I don't have to worry about my bills being paid. I don't have to worry about my electricity bill. I don't have to worry about my future. Everything we have is wrapped up in it because we think if I don't have enough, my future is going to be messed up. Everything's messed up. But he's saying, listen, when you use that temporary, you've always heard, you can't take it with you. We know that. When you use the temporary to store up treasures in heaven for you, that's what Jesus said. Where moth and rust don't can't can't hurt it, he says, "You have you have fruit that is added to your account." You see what he says? Not because I desire a gift, but I desire. This is what Paul wants. I want fruit that may abound to your account. Understand when the books are open on that day, and God judges every man, and you stand there. You know it's it's uh, appointed a man wants to die and face the judgment. When, when they open the books, I, I would imagine Paul is going to have a whole lot of rewards. I mean, if you're talking about the Apostle Paul, I mean, all the things that he went through, beatings and he, all, he started churches and all the conversions that when he preached the gospel. I mean, all, of, all the things that Paul did for the Lord, he would probably have, I would think, he would probably have a whole lot of rewards waiting on him for the things that he did. He'd be saved and he'd be accepted before Christ before God, just because of Christ and his death and resurrection, nothing else. So none of that stuff would count as far as his salvation, but he would be rewarded for all that he invested in the cross, all that he invested in the gospel. When you, when those books are open and Paul's name, the apostle Paul is there and he said, and he sees all that he had done in this city and that city, the Philippians name would be right there with him. Why? Because they invested into what he was doing. They invested into his life, into the gospel. He says, I don't desire that you just give me some more money. I don't desire that you send me another gift. I desire fruit that is going to abound to your account. Do you understand that you and I are called, you're called to advance the gospel. You are called to do two things and two things only. You are called to know Jesus more and to make him known among people who are lost. That's what you're called to do. To know him more. That's to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Discipleship, all that. And to spread the gospel. To evangelize people. To go and tell. To go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. You are called to do those things. And you're called to invest all of what God has blessed you with in that mission. I'm not saying sell everything, go live in a monastery. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about living for Christ, living for the gospel, living for his mission. You are called, he says, not because I desire a gift. I desire fruit to abound to your account. The fruit that abounds to their account when, when they have given to the ministry of God, to given to the gospel going forth. You're either living for the temporary things in this life and everything in this life is temporary or you are using what's temporary 
for eternity. You're storing up treasures in heaven, is what Jesus said. And so he says, I, I, I don't desire a gift, but I desire that fruit may abound to your account. That's a blessing of investing your life in the gospel. A blessing is the fruit that abounds to your account. The second thing is, <clears throat> it's a sacrifice to God. It's an offering to God. In verse 18, it says, but I have all in abound. Paul says, I've already talked about that. He said, I have all. I can do all things in Christ. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Look at what the things are. It's not just a thank you. I appreciate it. They are an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. It's a sacrifice to God, an offering to God, investing in the gospel, investing in what Christ, you know what Christ is doing in the world? A lot of people say, I follow Christ. You know what Christ is doing? If you're following Christ right now, Christ is saving souls. He is preaching the gospel and he is growing his people. That's what he's doing. He is, he is out converting people, preaching the gospel so that people would turn to him, believe and be saved. He is, is growing his people in holiness and in the faith of, of God. He is d- disciplining them. He is working in and through his people to advance the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing. So to follow Christ, to say, well, I'm following Christ. Christ is not spending his entire life hanging out watching football. Nothing wrong with watching football. Please don't say Jason and I ain't supposed to watch football. Nothing wrong with having fun, doing fun things. I got fun things I like to do. But your life, the purpose of your life, the reason that you get up in the morning, the things that you look forward to, they are centered around Christ if you have been born again. Not perfection, but direction. It says, look, the things are a sweet-smelling smelling savor to God. They're a sacrifice. The word that he uses for it is a, it, it's almost like a sacrifice is something that you give up. It's something that is not easy. It's something that's going to cost you something. You know, it's easy to give. Let's just talk about, you know, I ain't scared. Let's just talk about money. It's easy to give when it really don't hurt that bad. You know, when when it's the leftover, when I done got everything done, everything's paid. You know, I got my set aside to go out next weekend and I got this and it's really not going to hurt that bad. So I'll just write that out. I'll give that out. Easy to give. I'm not just, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it's easy. It's easy when, when that's what we're doing, when that's what I do. Let me just do me. That's what I do. It's easy. It, it's different when it's going to hurt a little bit, when it's going to cost me. So now if, if, if I have to make a choice today, whether I'm going to support the kingdom of God, if you go to another church, that's where you should be supporting the kingdom of God. If you, I'm just talking about supporting the gospel, I'm talking about the gospel. If it, if I have a choice today, whether I can support the gospel or I can take this and Go out to eat next week. That's going to hurt a little. That's going to be like, if I have to give something up, it's a sacrifice unto God. If I have to give, you know, I told you all this before, Dana and I have done financial counseling. And it's always, almost always the same. You know, a lot of people just don't know how to budget, don't know how to do those things and kind of help with those things. But it's always the same. It's like, do you want... Do you, you know, we want to make room. We want to, we always make room for tithing when we do that. He's like, this, this comes first. And now let's look at your bills. Now let's look at your whatever. And it's always the same. 
I got to give up DirecTV? Oh, I can't do that. I got to give up my cell phone? I mean, that's a necessity today. You, and you try to budget people's, people's life where the gospel is important, is the most important thing, and they pay all their bills and they have money left over, and you try to budget and fix all those things. But nobody wants to sacrifice. But here's the thing. We all sacrifice for what we want. We all sacrifice for what we desire. I don't have any problem. uh, You know, I don't have any problem saving my money and not going and eating lunch today or tomorrow or the next day. If I'm going to use it on Friday night for something I'm really looking forward to. I don't have no problem sacrificing for something that I desire, something that I love, something that I want. I don't have no problem at all. If there's some great thing that I want to buy, if it's a four wheeler or a bass boat or a new guitar or motorcycle or something that I want, I don't have any problem whatsoever saving up and skimping, cutting back on this, cutting back on that, trying to you know, do what I'm supposed to do in order so I can get that. No problem doing that. We sacrifice for what we love, what we desire. And so what, what I'm saying here is not, hey, guys, give me some more money. What I'm saying is not, hey, you know, you, you need to up, up your tithe a little bit. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not having told you any of that whatsoever. What I'm saying is examine your heart. What is your treasure? What is it that you treasure in life? Where is your treasure going? Because that's where your heart is. Jesus said, whatever, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And Christ wants your heart. He doesn't want your money and he doesn't want your whatever. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. And it's a, he says when, when they gave, it was a sweet selling, smelling sacrifice unto God. Even working in the hospital when, you know, you go in, uh, Brother Eddie goes and visits as a pastor. Or if, if I go as a chaplain, you can always say the same thing. The p- same thing people do in churches, they do in the hospital. They'll call down and they'll say, Oh, I really need to talk to a chaplain. And what they do is they dispatch one of us to go up there. And of course, all the way up the stairs, you know, you don't know what's going on. So you're praying, God, give me the right answers. Help me, whatever. And when you get in there, what they want is I can't, I can't pay my electric bill, you know. And that's a real need. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes I'll see, and this, the reason it's fresh on my mind is this is just a few weeks ago. It's like, you just don't understand how I'm hurting. You don't understand how I, I, I can't afford my bills. I can't afford my, my electric bill and I need some help. And the whole time she's talking to me, iPhone 7 is sitting on the deal and pack of Marlboros. It's like, well, now where are your priorities? We sacrifice for what we desire, what we want, what we have to have. We sacrifice for that. What I'm saying to you today and what I believe Paul is illustrating as he's praising the Philippians is that he's praising them not because, oh, you're so generous, you gave me something. He's praising them because of where their heart is. Their heart is in the gospel. From the very beginning, they have been ministering with him. They have been sending help to him. From the very beginning, even when no one else would, they were sending help and continually and eagerly. And he's saying it is a sacrifice to God what you're doing. Now you're saying you just don't understand. If I do what you're saying, I can't make it. There's nothing that I can do. I won't be able to survive. I won't be able to live. I won't be able to do anything. There's another promise attached in this next verse, in verse 19. He says, 
But my God, Paul says, my God, the one that I'm serving, the one that you have been serving by ministering with me, my God is going to supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you invest your life and your treasure and your value, what you value in life in the gospel of Christ, there is no way he's going to let one of his children perish because they were too generous for the gospel. There's no way. It's a promise right here. My God shall supply all your need. Not some of your need. My God's going to make it a little better. My God's going to, you know, God, if you'll just come on and if you'll just come on and do what you're supposed to do, God's going to be there, you know, and, and, and he'll get you up to halfway at least. You know, you'll have to do some more. To, no, my God will supply all, all your need. You will not want, you will not need for anything. Understand, he doesn't say just I'll, he'll supply all your wants. If, you're, if you think you need a Rolls Royce, you're probably going to be out of luck. He will supply your needs in abundance. And you won't have to worry. You won't have to worry about, am I being too generous for the gospel? I'm not talking about just, oh, I'm talking about investing your life in the gospel. My God will supply your every need. Sometimes I find in my own life, and this is true for me, you know, in reality is sometimes the things that I want are the things that are going to damage me. The things that I want are, and I'm, I'm God, please, why won't you get us to me? And God's like, if I get that to you, that you, you'd be, you know, you'd, you'd be out. You see it all the time. The more blessed and comfortable you get, what happens? The further away you get from God, because you don't need to depend on him anymore. You don't need to trust him anymore. You think I'm me. I'm got on easy street. I'm walking and and I'm secure because I got all this money in the bank. I'm secure because, you know, I got plenty of clothes and I don't have to buy any clothes. I'm secure because every my future is set and everything's good. But the more that we the more that we lack the things that we want, the more we trust in Christ. But we will never, ever, if we are invested in the gospel, our lives are invested in the gospel and the ministry of God, never will you lack anything that you need, ever. I remember somebody, when we moved to Brownsville, we moved to Brownsville from Jackson in, I don't remember when it was, a long time ago. And houses are expensive in Brownsville. And we're like, we sold this this. Pretty nice house, brick house, nice home in Jackson. And we're thinking, well, we, we'll just go grab us a little house in Brownsville. It's, uh-uh. They're expensive. And we spent a year, we spent a year living with Dana's mom because there was just the houses that we liked we couldn't afford and we, you know, whatever. And one of the things that we held on to, one of the things, I was lost at the time. I didn't know Jesus at all. But one of the things someone told me is like a house, shelter, is a need. That's not a want. God said he would supply your every need. And we held on to that. And of course he did supply our every need. He did it abundantly. He did it better than we ever thought, ever thought possible. Understand that when you invest your life in the gospel, when you that make him your treasure, make the ministry of the gospel, the, the winning of the loss to Jesus, the, the growing of the believers in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you make that your life and you invest all in that There is no way, it's impossible 
that you will lack anything that you will need. So you can't say, well, you just don't understand. I remember having that conversation with someone that we were counseling to get on a budget. You just don't understand what we got going on. If we did that, if we, we were talking about tithing at the time, if we did that, there's no way we could survive. And my response is always the same. Well, then we might as well just throw all this away because God's a liar. If that's true, and of course it's not true. Because he said, if you are generous with you, if you, if you sacrifice, if you, if you, I'm not saying give me some more of your money. Please don't hear that. I'm saying if you invest your life in the gospel and your heart is, your heart is focused on the treasure of Jesus and knowing him and making him known, you will never lack for anything that you need ever, ever. My God will supply all your need according to his riches. Just how rich is he? I wonder. How rich, I mean, is he able to pay your, I was going to say $100 electric bill. Ain't none of y'all's electric bill $100 no more. Is he able, is he able to do that? I mean, I know he can create the world by speaking. And I know he can save my wretched soul just by, just by speaking, you know, in forgiveness in the cross. I know he can resurrect my body from the dead. But paying this $300 electric bill, that's too hard for God. According to his riches in glory, he'll supply your every need according to his riches in glory. There's a promise that's attached to that. And that promise is real. That promise is just as real as John 3, 16. Just as real as whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just as real. So the question as we end, we're going to stop right here. Over and over again, the last two chapters, we've ended with this same question. Is Jesus enough? That's the question. It was the question for us to rejoice in the Lord. Is Jesus enough for you to rejoice in the Lord no matter what's going on? Remember that sermon? Is Jesus enough for you to stand in the Lord no matter what's going on? You remember that one? Is Jesus enough for you to forgive one another? We talked about that. And here, finally, as we end this, as we end this whole book, is Jesus enough for you to treasure him above all things here in this earth. That means your money, your free time, your fun, your everything. Is he enough? And that's really the question. Leave your wallet in your pants. I'm not even talking about that. I'm not saying pull out your, pull out your billfold or your checkbook and write a check and everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be better. I'm not, you should not have heard today. Well, Jason was right. So let me go on and write a check and I'm going to get this done and be over. No, we're talking about a life here. We're talking about a whole life. We're talking about your heart. We're talking about everything. We're talking about investing more than just a check, investing more than just some money. We're talking about investing your whole life in the gospel and the ministry of Christ. So the question is not, are you doing enough? I hope I've said that enough today and last week and the week before. The question is not, are you giving enough? Are you doing enough? All of us could be doing more. The question is, where is your heart? And the way that you answer that question is to ask, where is my treasure going? Treasure is not just bank accounts, whatever you love, whatever you love in this life. Where is my treasure? What do I live for? What do I look forward to in the day? What can I not live without? What am I, what am I, what do I need to be happy? Is it, is it stuff? 
Is it things? Is it fun? Is it going to the river? Is it going to Disney World? Is it going to whatever? Is it riding motorcycles? Is it playing music, playing the guitar? What is it? That is the purpose of your life. If anything else other than Christ is in that spot, then it is idolatry. It's idolatry. And so wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your heart's at. And so the question today is not, are you given enough? Please don't hear that. The question is, is Jesus enough for you? Or do you love temporary worldly things more? Paul is praising these Philippians because they gave consistently. They gave eagerly and they gave, uh, they gave completely with the, for the gospel. Sacrificially given for the gospel over and over and over again. And they were given some promises because they did what they did. He says, Fruit is going to be added to their account. All those conversions where someone in, in heaven runs up to Paul and say, you remember me? I, I believed in Jesus when you were preaching. That's going to be because of the Philippians help as well, because of what they had done. All those things is fruit to your account. It's going to be a sweet smelling sacrifice unto God. And there's a promise attached that you will never want for anything that you need. If you live for Christ and trust him. So the question is, where is your heart? It's not a matter of how much. It's where is your heart? Today, you might be looking around thinking about your life, about your heart. Understand, you know, my treasure has never been on Jesus. My my heart has never been purposed in serving him and loving him and and giving for him and doing for him. Not in order to gain anything, but because he saved my soul. It's never been that way. If that's the case, you need to examine your heart. You need to examine who you are, whether you are in Christ or not. You need to examine your heart. And it's as simple as to to have that heart changed is as simple as trusting in the gospel. He said, whoever comes to me, I'll in no no wise cast out. He says, if you're burdened and heavy laden, you come to me, I'll give you rest. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, it's as simple as trusting in Jesus. And he will give you a new heart. You're not always going to do everything right, but that heart, trust me, is going to be pointed toward Christ. It's going to have its fulfillment and purpose in Christ and it's going to be striving to reach the goal. It's going to be pressing for the mark. Today, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Christ and you know good and well that you don't know Christ, don't think, oh, I got to give more. I got to do more. I got to be better. I wish I could get my life in order. Think I need to repent of my sin and trust in Jesus. Do that now. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've given.